welcome to Pale Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we reflect on Wildbo's most sunny work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. Most sunny work is interesting, given that one of these chapters features very, uh, let's say, rainy weather. Um, I feel like but... that was one where we, we really weren't sure what to use, and sunny was just a bit of a spur of the moment, like, oh shit, we need a new word for the well, arc decision. because we've just been hanging out with Radical Ray, I think. Um, yeah, but like even then, I still I was like, I hope this works for Arc Four, and I feel like the answer is no, it hasn't because we hate Ray now, or mm. kind of. Um, we go into the ruins. Uh, there's not much that's sunny about this arc. <laughs> yeah. which, I mean, it's a it's a wild bow arc. I don't know what we were thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, uh, but yeah, so we're talking about leaving the mark four point nine, four point ten. The bonus materials, the uh, spell notes. Um, Let's begin with leaving Mark 4.9 from Verona's perspective, which begins with the trio going through a textbook, preparing to make themselves an enchanted doll. Yeah, and I mean, I love I love how, as Verona is sort of getting frustrated by how slow she has to read this textbook, she starts looking around and, I mean, I don't think she's like intentionally judgy about people's appearances, but just the way she describes people is not very flattering. Mm. Um like she sort of looks at Mrs. Uh, Graubard. Is that is that how you say that? Ah, uh, yeah. Robard, yes. Graubard, Gr- Grubbard. I was kind of thinking of it as, but you know. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll go with that. Anyway, she she says like she basically describes Mrs. Grubbard as looking more like a doll than Talia and Talia's actual doll. <laughs> um, which like it's just this. It's like this hilarious accidental roast that Verona does, and I feel like she does this all the time, and we haven't really called it out before, but so I just sort of wanted to bring out, like, I just, I love how this chapter sort of puts us back in Verona's head by just her sort of not, not with any ill intent, I don't think, just sort of tearing this person apart. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the fact that she thinks Mrs. Grubbard looked like a doll is the first <laughs> line we get describing her in this chapter. I think that's hilarious. Yeah, and to follow it up with, and then there's also Talia's doll, who's kind of in the middle of a person and Mrs. Grubbard, which is just like, okay, like, harsh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I I want to, I'm, I'm coining a term uh, that this chapter has given me a good example of. That term is the practitioner effect. Um, and what that means is that effect where you either meet somebody who seems like a horrifying person or you meet somebody who seems nice and normal but then if they're a practitioner that gets completely flipped because they've almost certainly done some horrifying things in their life like okay mrs grubbard is a perfect example right imagine that we hadn't heard the stuff about what they did with their daughter and in this chapter they're kind of just like a nice teacher who has to put up with an overzealous student and you can kind of get the vibe of like I would like this person and respect them if we just met them in this chapter, right? Yeah, like, um, if, if if this was all of our context, I would have sort of walked away with this being like, you know, she's just some nice doll maker who, you know, is getting harassed by this annoying student, and she dealt with it pretty well, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but because they're a practitioner, there's also these horrifying things that are totally normalized, um, mm. like she was going to replace her daughter with a doll. And it's so hard <laughs> to reconcile these two facts into one person. And that's what's crazy about practitioners to me. And that's why I've coined the practitioner effect, coined by me. Um, <laughs> it's like, 
it's it's people who just seem normal, but they they've done things that you can't help but describe as pure evil, right? Like <laughs> I don't know. It's just crazy how horrifying some of the things that are like normalized in this world are. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to just uh, I guess you know put it all on put it all on the nose. Um, like she, I mean, that's the problem with real life people, isn't it? Like you can uh, you can find that out. Like you know, some celebrity or something that you thought seemed like a really nice person. It turns out that behind the scenes they were, you know, some sort of bigot or something, right? Like uh, you know, this happens in the real world too. Um, and it's just like people are a bit complicated like that. They wear different masks in different situations, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, I like mean, it's it's a bit of a testament to to the good characterization of of the the other verse stories that this practitioner effect happens you sort of meet them in some circumstances and it's like oh they seem nice and it's like oh yeah but you know they get ready to replace their daughter with a doll if she is shit um so and then as you said it's like those normalized behaviors again there's some things in the real world that i'm sure a lot of people are like this is far too normalized uh that people are allowed to do this um yeah definitely. so yeah <laughs> i think there's some horrifying parts of our society that the majority of society seems to be like, yeah, that's just how it is. Yeah. God, what a world. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's wild. A- anyway, um, so we also meet Zach here, who is the fourth Kennetier. We finally have a new member of the group. <laughs> yeah, but he gets replaced next chapter. Um, Sad. Yeah, it, so this is one of those moments where I'm so glad that we have the extra material stuff because the second we got the name Zach, I immediately went back to the student guide and looked up who that was, and it was like Zach uh, with the hot girl totem, and I was like, oh fuck yes, like <laughs> we got this idiot. I can't wait to find out what that's about. <laughs> Turns out the answer is um, about as gross as you'd expect from a 14 year old uh, with a hot girl totem. Mm-hmm. Um, Although not, although also not as, yeah, we'll get into Zach, but it, it was, it was like the same thing when we find out about like, whenever somebody gets a name now, I'm just immediately jumping back to that student guide. It's so handy to have. And it's like, I can even tell like if, if Salvador or someone shows up again and I've forgotten this chapter, it'll be like, when I go to the student guide to look him up, I'm like, oh no, I remember him. He's Zach's friend from chapter X. Like it's such a good waypoint to go back to. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. It's a good way to just kind of start to differentiate these people in your mind um yeah yeah so i i uh, just a cool example of how the extra material is enhancing the story for me um Mm. and and also you know just getting me excited as we meet these characters and i'm like ooh, like did you know i I don't know if everyone went back and looked so i'll just mention it so you know how there's fernanda the Mm. the girl who zach was being set up with Mm. at one point but now her big brother's doing well so their family thinks they're too good for zach's family yeah her brother is Chase, the 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 Bellinger Chase. Oh shit! Really? Yeah. yeah. So her name's Fernanda Wait, Witt, what? and Chase's surname is Witt. Right. I mean, technically, that could be a coincidence. I'm assuming it's not, but no, it's <laughs> but yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, you know, see, she seemed like a little shit, and I guess that runs in the family. Wait. Um, oh my god. So that means that that means that they cannot. The Kenneteers are going to cause Zach to get married. What? Well, because well, because they're going to stop Chase. Exactly, the they're going to stop. 
they're going to stop the guy who's the landlord, whose name I've forgotten momentarily, <laughs> and Chase is obviously the Belanger that's secretly working with him because he's going to be the most satisfying one to take down, and therefore Chase is going to get knocked down a peg, lose his status, Fernandez uh, going to be back with Zach, and he's going to have to get married. I mean, I hopefully, hopefully the Kenneteers' victory is so complete that they manage to abolish some of this other bullshit like the semi-arranged marriages. Um, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll have to see. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, speaking of Zach, actually, it, I think it's worth pointing out that he's the first example we get of, well, not the first example, but he's a good example of, like, a non-major practitioner in this world. We don't get right. that many examples of what, just, like, practitioners who aren't exceptional look like, you know, <laughs> um, especially at this school. but. We we now have Zach, who just is kind of set up as he's just kind of a, a middle of the road kind of practitioner, right? Yeah, I was going to use the term like a middle class practitioner, because um, I feel yeah we've seen other practitioners who aren't necessarily on top. Uh, it was uh, Millie Le- Legendre. Or, yes, yes, um, true. Uh, like you know, she was sort of uh, a quote unquote lower class practitioner family or whatever. Yeah, um, but yeah, like like Zach just sort of seems to represent someone who's like you know his family's struggling, but they've got him in the school, uh, and you know hoping for the best, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you know even with Millie, we didn't actually see an example of her doing her practice, right? That's not something that we ever true, true. saw. Um, so that's I think the thing that is really interesting about Zach is he's set up as like kind of middle of the road, and then we get to see him as an example that is directly you know kind of compared and uh, contrasted with our Kenneteers and we'll get to that in a little bit yeah yeah um but I guess I guess to specifically address him um so he's a weeb right like he's a like that's the implication I mean yeah he's definitely <laughs> he's yeah I don't know he's somewhere on the, the total dork uh line yeah um yeah yeah i don't know because it's like especially with this with this hot girl totem stuff which is like about as close to literally objectifying women as you can get without um actually taking real women um he yeah he's really interesting to me because he strikes me as like a shit person waiting to happen like i don't know maybe it's like he, he like he seems nice and he seemed fine but he seems very confused like he he clearly idolizes and was like wanting to follow sal around mm. and sal seems like a great a twat mm. um and it's just kind of like and and like sal's the one who's like oh you should double down on this hot girl totem stuff like, it just kind of seems like zach is someone with the potential to be nice but he's surrounded on all sides by people giving him terrible advice and i could just see him turning into a really toxic piece of shit mm. yeah hopefully he doesn't go too far down that path now that he's the fourth kennedy but you never know <laughs> Yeah, um, we will see, I suppose, in the next group project. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they, they make this doll and they set up the, the kind of ritual circle for it. And then they decide to power this doll with their own personal power. And this is kind of what I was hinting to before. Zach just cannot handle it. He's basically <laughs> completely taken out of it, right? Yeah, he didn't believe in the heart of the cards. Mm. That's sorry. That's as deep as my anime references are going to yeah, get. That's really, I mean, not applicable at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, exactly. He didn't I'm trying. Okay. Um, um, 
Yeah, no, it's um, yeah, poor Zach. He he really <laughs> he kind he kind of gets bullied into it a little bit. Like it 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 kind of feels to me like the Kedatiers accidentally took advantage of uh his desperation to fit in and and be seen as cool. Mm. Like he strikes me as a very I don't know I I kind of relate to that aspect of him as a fourteen year old who's gonna do dumb shit to fit in socially. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what. I mean, he's he's thirteen or fourteen, right? Like that's just exactly. What, yeah. yeah. That's how you. That's how it is when you're that age. Um. So yeah, uh, I think this is great because we've kind of heard that these wild practitioner Kenneteers are you know, have access to much more power than, than they should. Um, but we, we haven't really felt it yet, right? And this is the this is Wabo showing us what that looks like because, you know, they they um this is described as and I love there's this little moment of Avery being un like not trying to brag but kind of not being able to help it. <laughs> where she says, I thought this was just like a regular elemental basic rune. We do those all the time. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, shit, wait, like, this is what their privilege is, right? Like, this is the position of power that they've been afforded. And I think it's very cool that we get to see that, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that that's part of it, because we do sort of know that their access to the Kennet power goes intrinsically through them. Mm. Um, and in fact, as I'm adding that qualifier, I'm realizing this is the other verse. It's not mutually exclusive. But it's like, I think it's also really telling that they are able to power something from their their selves, and someone like Zach isn't. Just because, mm. like, if you view like having a strong self as like you know having strong character and all that, like to me that metaphor of like these three being people who like you know have strong senses of identity, they've had to push through stuff like you know lots of character building shit, all that. Like they have strong selves. They've 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 had to persevere. Whereas, like, you know, Zach is, I mean, just like, you know, he's someone, he, he awoke at four or whatever, and it's just, he, he lives to please other people, I guess, is, is sort of the vibe I got from him. Mm. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if people like that just sort of have a weak self. Mm. Um, oh, This seems really harsh on the dude, but I guess I'm projecting. <laughs> yeah, take him I'm, down. Take him I'm down. Projecting, I'm projecting my 13-year-old self onto him at the same time, so I'm kind of kind of taking out my own issues right. with who I was at this age um, on him right. as well. But like, that's sort of where, where my mind went is it's not just that they're powerful because of the Kenneth stuff, but I feel like they're stronger people. Mm. Um, and that this is part of how that's represented. Whereas like Zach is someone who's grown up in this environment where he's constantly using the practice and all that. He hasn't mm. had to hone his self at all. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I guess the question that I would ask is, when it, whenever it's something like that, the question to be asked in my mind is, okay, how is that going to play into the story? And I, I don't fully see it. So therefore, I don't know if it would come up, <laughs> but I like it as a headcanon, you know? Well, I, like, I guess for me, it's, it's, it's just an example for us of how the Kennetiers are strong compared to somebody who hasn't really grown up facing as much direct adversity or something. Like, you know, the at the end of the day, when he has to rely on himself he's not as strong mm. whereas you know they have had to work for everything they've got like they're better at fighting with what they've got mm. you know like maybe this sort of thing will apply to alexander like you take all the bullshit and the structure away from him and he's probably you know like it, without his without his establishment and his tricks what has he got 
there's that yeah. whole thing about how augurs don't do direct confrontation. They're failed by the time it reaches there. So it's, it's sort of like, you know, when, when the chits are down, Alexander's probably the sort who's going to fold if he, okay. once he realizes yeah. he's fucked. I can see that. And that kind of plays nicely into the questions of, of like privilege and hardship that the story is dealing with, right? Like, you know, yeah. Nicole, as an example, has had to suffer and that's clearly made her yeah. like, I, stronger as a result. I wouldn't be surprised if she was able to do this with them. Although I, maybe there's all the, the stuff with her head and the hallow. Maybe she can't for, for reasons around that, but like, uh, like that would be a, a very practicey reason. So not like necessarily fitting into this metaphor, I guess. Mm. I don't know. Mm. My, um, my initial guess is that Nicolette would be able to do it because I like her yeah. and she seems like she's got strong character sometimes. Yeah, it's true. She, she, she occasionally also... leaves. She occasionally leaves her blood slaves with Bristow, which I'm not a fan of. But you know. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, uh, well, okay. Here's here's something interesting. Just just a nice little moment where Lucy gets Salvador to be a better friend to Zach. That's just yeah. a nice little example of like this trio really just goes around making everything better wherever they go, right? It's such a Lucy response to see Salvador kind of letting Zach down and just go up to him and be like, hey, get your shit together. Zach needs you. I, I, I fucking loved it. Um, Lucy's going to improve the world one person at a time, whether they want it or not. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's she's this kind of... I mean, I've described her as a crusader before, and I, I think that works yeah. quite nicely as a description. She goes around just improving things. I mean, that's not really what a crusader historically was, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 and again like you know there's that whole thing with lucy like she she's been focusing on honing herself and kind of weaponizing it to fix the the space around her right so yeah this is just a bit of an, a non-magical extension of that i suppose yeah yeah um one other little detail um that as i'm looking at it and about to read it out i realize this is probably the sort of thing that would have only made the live reads if those had happened this week um but Zach has a, a totem of a grotesque, and uh, I think it's Verona calls it a gargoyle, and he's like, no, 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 gargoyles only have the spouts, this is a grotesque. This is just one of those little details where Walbo's flexing his academia uh, on everyone, like just his, uh, he seems to know everything about everything, because um, I, I learned this fact like a few years ago, and it's one of those like obnoxious facts I like to use to correct people, and... <laughs> Just like, oh no, actually the gargoyles have spouts, otherwise it's just a grotesque. Um, so it was just so funny to see something like that pop up in this. Like, I'm just constantly amazed at all the little factoids Walbo seems to have in his arsenal. <laughs> yeah, well, how, does he, how does he pick up these things? It just kind of happens. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, it's the sort of thing I, I probably don't think about unless I'm trying to be correcting someone about it. And But I, I probably wouldn't be clever enough to do that on the fly. Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anywho. Uh, so yeah, they, they, they've made their doll. It's obviously done pretty well. And the trio kind of leave the class there as the class descends into further chaos. Um, they, they go off to head uh, <laughs> to plan what they should do about Frona's dad and the other tenants. Um, yeah, so I guess to, to focus for a sec on that bit, you mentioned about the class descending into chaos. Mm. Uh what sort of happens is the the two goblin princesses uh intentionally from the seams of it make a murder doll um just to 
be fucking chaos because I guess they're goblin-esque themselves. I suppose if you pick goblins, you end up being a bit like a goblin or it's probably the other way around. Um, yeah, they, they, they're crazy. Um, <laughs> one of them has filed down teeth, which is yeah. immediately in my mind a marker that somebody is, I don't know, I don't Scary. want to use too strong of a word, but just something's not right there, you know? Yeah. And so that's that's sort of the point I actually wanted to bring up is like because Verona has this thought as she's sort of looking at them about how they freak her out and she because she's sort of trying to process it and she's like you know darkness is cool scary is cool weird is cool like you know she's fine with things like Alpi or something it it's actually like the proper violence I suppose like she doesn't mm-hmm. really end up choosing a word for it but it's like the the Ted's there's like an evil intent to them mm-hmm. and that's what actually scares her and. I just really like this is something about Verona. Like this is always something I've appreciated. How she's like, she doesn't really care what something will look like. In fact, she actually seems to enjoy something more if it's less traditionally aesthetically pleasing. Mm. Uh, like you know, she likes bitter and sour foods as well. Mm-hmm. She she kind of likes to go beyond the grain. It's just kind of like, you know, don't actually be evil. Like you can look spooky and shit, just don't actually follow up on it. Yeah. Just, um. Yeah. And I just I just like that. You know, it's like. She's not going to judge a book by its cover, I suppose. And I think that's, you know, a very admirable trait. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she maybe sometimes seems like she does judge book buys, judge books by their <laughs> cover because she brutally assassinates everyone in her descriptions of them. But I don't think she's doing that to destroy them. I think that's just how she thinks of them. And she doesn't realize how, how much she's obliterating them or how much it would hurt them to hear it, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's not intentionally you know, wrecking shop. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry. Just, I pulled out this quote. And yeah. It's just a crazy quote to me because, it, okay, so what's happening here is um, uh, Snowdrop has just had a, a glass of chocolate milk and Verona takes a look at it with her sight to, to see if there's anything going on with it. And uh, this is her train of thought. A tiny skinless baby cow is crammed inside, almost drowning in its fluids. Looks fine to me, she says. It's just a classic quote. It just is such nonsense. Like, is this just what milk looks like to Wabo with the site? Uh, is that? Well, no, this is Verona's site, right? Like, Verona has always seen little Sorry, meat yes, things. With Verona's site specifically. Yeah. But that, I don't know. This is just, I mean, because the reaction is this is just what milk looks like to Verona. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's that classic Verona. Wait, wait. Verona has always had this very abnormal response to the horrible meat things she sees. Like, remember when she asked that one for direction um, in Arc 3? Mm-hmm. Like, she's so. It, it kind of launches off what we we're talking about just a second ago. Like, she's so unashamedly just like, oh, neat. Like a dead baby cow in the milk. Like, you can obviously see the symbolism there. And she just sort of accepts it and it, it doesn't phase her at all and it's just like verona you're such a fucking maniac like how does this not cause you to take a yeah, second how, how does to this just not be like what flag for you exactly <laughs> um yeah i i like it's one because it's interesting i think verona's site is still the one i don't feel confident in exactly what all of it means like <laughs> it, it just means that she's a psychopath elliot <laughs> there's no deeper meaning to it like like Lucy, right? She sees the daggers and auras yeah. to to some extent around people. Avery sees lots yes. of connections, and she gets the, the handprints, yeah. which the handprints kind of overlap with Lucy's daggers. Is the impression I've gotten? 
yeah. um, or it ties stuff to the ruins or something. Whereas like Verona's, I'm, I still don't quite understand like what all the, is it something to do with like the costs of something or like the, the work that went into it? Cause she's so obsessed with mm. the effort she puts into stuff. So, you know, does mm. she say like, you know, it's the baby cow or something. Cause it's like, that's where the milk was destined for or something that that's like what it was built for. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything more to it than just <laughs> Verona has a horrifying perspective. <laughs> Yeah, no, there has to be. It, it, yeah, yeah I don't know. I'm going to stick with that theory I just came up with on the fly for now that it's something to do with the work that was put in or what it was worked on for mm. or something. Mm. Uh, uh, but through Verona's eyes, that also takes the shape of meat in plastic because why not? Because it's mm. Verona. Fair enough. Just, j- just Verona things, I guess. <laughs> Hashtag just Verona life. <laughs> um. <sighs> Uh, oh, oh, here's, okay, yeah, here's another thing. We've been getting, and we get a lot more in this chapter, a lot more kind of worrying, like, Verona having physical symptoms of anxiety stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah. there's a quote here where uh, she thinks, and they've just been talking about her dad, she thinks, she felt a jab in her stomach, like she'd eaten something off when she hadn't even touched the, bon- the bonky donk. And her gut was letting her know with pain first. Um, like, I I don't think there's anything more to it than this is just kind of physical symptoms of anxiety. I'm not getting that tinfoil hat about it. But I do think that she's, this seems to be the exact kind of thing that will motivate her to, like, want to put aside her humanity. If she can turn off this exact kind of feeling as a response to her, to her dad, you know, I, I think she will. <laughs> Yeah, because this is sort of what we saw in, it was like way back in Arc 2 when this sort of happened last time, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, like watching Verona go through all this stuff with her dad is is pretty gut-wrenching, um, especially with uh, the events of the last chapter in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like what, what sort of makes it extra heartbreaking as well to me is this idea of... Um, like what what really moves it into the physical pain that we haven't seen for a little while is she kind of gets a bit jealous of the of seeing like Eloise and Ulysses mm. uh in this relationship so it's just Ulysses, Ulysses. yeah just um, Ulysses <laughs> no plural <laughs> um but it, it like again it's the sort of thing where you know she she does seem to have uh a want or a need for some sort of romantic or or whatever relationship but it's just like those those wires are so crossed in her head from her fucked up parents yeah um that she can't comprehend it being healthy and so it's just like but seeing it just like sends her on this spiral and she's mm-hmm. like oh like yeah it, it's just such a good little bit to prepare us for this nightmare of calling her parents and like setting it up as a ritual is such a great way to just like really signify its importance like you know mm-hmm. we're taking up a big room we're getting a whole crew involved so mm-hmm. verona can call her parents like it's yeah, such a great exactly. metaphor yeah. um i don't even know if metaphor is the right term because it's like the sort of like like in your real life you'd see these people just sort of giving her a more concrete like emotional support but it's like this is the practice so it's that and also they're drawing lines in the ground to signify magic too because it, you know that exists yeah yeah it's there's just a lot there's a lot to it and it, it builds it up as this big 
thing, right? Which I guess it, it kind of is, but you know, it shouldn't be. You know, <laughs> it shouldn't have to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. If it was, if it wasn't her specific parents, it wouldn't be right. That's that's the rub. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we got to call both of them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Zed, Zed and Eloise help kind of set up this diagram so they can make some protected phone calls. Uh, first off is Verona's mother. So, okay, obviously, and, and the reason Zed and Eloise sort of get involved is because they kind of need a senior on the, they, they need a senior supervising them and these two are working on this big senior project mm-hmm. and it's just, okay, I want to talk about the big senior project because this has to be a thing, right? Like, mm-hmm we keep getting all this on-screen time dedicated to basically every named older teenage character is contributing mm. in some way to this secret project. Yes. Oh, do you have any definitely theories? definitely something going on here. Yeah. I, what do you reckon it is? I have no idea, Elliot. I, I just don't <laughs> know. I mean, what could it even be? Well, so I, I've, I've popped up with one tinfoil theory this okay, week. Okay, let's hear it. Well, so I'm thinking... You know, there's a vacant Carmine Beast spot right now, right? And obviously, we have mm-hmm. somebody will, ready to step in uh, when the chances are right after John. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, I doubt that the Blue Heron Institute doesn't, like, surely it's occurred to someone in the Blue Heron Institute, hey, what if we just put someone there? Like, I think what it if they must them... have occurred to Alexander. Right. Exactly. Do. So it's like, what if they're making their own Carmine Beast or making something to completely, like, while that system is unbalanced with just the three, like, sort of unseat it and replace it with some Blue Heron bullshit? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like I, like, I just wonder if we're going to finally find out what this project is and it's going to be, like, something to do with this Carmine Beast um, Supreme Court level stuff where they mm-hmm. want to alter that in some big way and take control of it. Mm-hmm. Um. And I tried, I, I went back and looked at who's confirmed to be running a secret project and then none of them are great fits for exactly that. So I don't know what form it's going to take, but that's my, that's my big tinfoil theory about what might be going down there. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I wonder what, what does that imply that the ritual is, you know, or, you know, the project is it creating something to take that place? Is it? turning you know a human into an other to take that place what are they actually yeah performing? well because so you've got like ulysses who has like a god or something so I feel like... without the s at the end does it <laughs> <laughs> um but it, like you know he he's rocking that like divine stuff so that feels yeah. to me like if you were building something big you'd want someone with expertise in like big things like gods yeah um, yeah true yeah like zed is probably just helpful for like a variety of small reasons Mm. um i don't know who else has actually been confirmed to be working on this there were three people listed in the student guide as like running secret projects i think they call them senior projects but i'm going to keep calling them secret projects Mm. um one of those people was the the person who was the expert in the winter court of fairy which doesn't really feel like that suits this at all Yeah. Um, one was uh the the older Musa child who that's the it's the family with like multiple familiars and implements and stuff. So the, right, was like the guy rocking like nine familiars and shit. So maybe that's relevant. Well, that's like you know that's someone if they're bending the system of like implements and familiars and domains and whatever. Like that's like these fundamental 
structures for practitioners, right? Like, I don't know, maybe that extends to knowing how to fuck with these fundamental systems that rule the area without a lord. I don't know. Mm. The other person was ritual city design, which mm. I assume is like building diagrams into city blocks or something. Mm. Um, again, I don't know how that would apply, but it, it feels big. Big helps. Do you think? Do you think that there's a way that instead of this being a replacement, it's somebody in Kennet is working with the Blue Heron Institute to, to do this kind of usurping? I mean, they they could be. And then the project I don't is like s- the breakdown of the Common Beast's power or, or something like that. Yeah, it it could be. That would be like huge. I, I there's no way. I, I definitely think a lot less of Zed. <laughs> that mm. was the case because. He would he would know That's about true. all that. That's true. He'd be in on it. That'd be pretty damning. I feel like I, I don't know. I could just see this being you know just another thing that's going to get lumped on the pile of problems. Like when mm-hmm. when shit already starts hitting the fan, then suddenly one of these senior students is going to rock up with something like as powerful as the Carmine Beast too. Be like, yeah, I want to fight for it as well. I'm putting my hat in the ring. It's like, oh fuck, just what we needed another giant powerful conflict being. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that would be pretty bad. I mean, that that means we're basically explicitly setting up the end game being Kenneth versus the Blue Heron Institute, which I hope is not where we're going. <laughs> uh, there, there'll be some metaphorical conflict there, and maybe that will take the form of some kind of giant kaiju battle. I don't know. Oh yeah, where where, where you know Matthew and Eve form together to with whatever you know uh, Toad Swallow to form some kind of giant mecha, and then um, yeah. Grubbers, but it'll be uh, representative no, of, whoever of the conflict that's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it won't be like, I don't think it'd be the the be-all, end-all. It'll just be like symbolic of the conflict that is going on, but there'll be other shit on the side that actually matters. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Kennedys will be. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Sorry, this is this is dragged, <laughs> this is dragged on for a while. I didn't mean this to go for so long. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Uh, well, that's what this show's all about. Um, anyway, I, I want to touch on Eloise here who is an interesting character because she's clearly being very helpful here, but just in a very annoying way. And it's crazy <laughs> to me how that's the, like that type of character that is yes, helpful on the surface, but does it in an annoying way is so infuriating to, to read. <laughs> yeah. She like, she, she's just, it's like, Oh, this is very basic. And it's like, Oh, how would you do it better? Oh, I don't really have any of my stuff to do any of that. Like I couldn't, help do it better and so so thanks for bringing that up i guess like mm. <laughs> way to way to help the morale <laughs> um there's there's this other great bit like um where she tells them they've got like a straight line she's like oh rather than a straight line you should have a really big like s shape and i think mm-hmm. verona's like oh why and eloise is like i don't know it's what i was taught and it works better <laughs> and it's just like remember we had that textbook like a couple of extra materials ago that was talking about the difference between practice and craft. Mm. I feel like Eloise has just perfectly ex- exemplified that uh, difference here, where where she's just sort of like, oh yeah, I I do it with the big S's because that's what I was taught and it works good. So yeah, but do you have any understanding of why it does? No, no. But yeah, like I I don't know. It, I I find that really interesting. Like again, she's someone who strikes me as someone. It wouldn't have the strongest self. She's mm. just sort of going through the motions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder. Yeah, you're right. It, it, it is. And it's that kind of thing, again, that ties back to what we're talking about with like privilege and the idea of, of 
having to have struggled to get to the position that you are, meaning that you've kind of, you know, you respect it a bit more, right? Mm. Yeah, she got handed the information and she didn't have to learn it on a deep level. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, <laughs> to take us back to silly theory town, <laughs> which is a place I love to go, there's a line here, and this kind of persists throughout the entirety of her conversation with Verona's mum, but there is a line here where Verona asks, is asking her mum what's going on with, with 3D, and Verona asks, he didn't say why? referring to why he wanted Verona to call him, and she says, he didn't really communicate that, no. Is that, does that sound like a weaselly answer to you, Elliot? <laughs> because um, to me it sounds like the kind of answer you give when you're a pra- practitioner and trying to tiptoe <laughs> around the truth of the matter. It just, it just jumped out to me, and I'm kind of feeling myself being pulled back into the Verona's mum as a practitioner wagon you know um i i don't but but sure um yeah i i mean i it it just jumped out to me like my whole thing when i read like the in general the verona's mum call she's just she just avoids doing anything Mm. like she just feels so unattached like it's it's interesting like how verona keeps talking about how oh i don't have emotions or i don't want emotions and you just sort of i feel like her mum is that like her mum is sort of like oh you know, but there's this bit where she's like, oh, can you wait at least an hour and a half to call me? Because that way I'll be home from work. And it's like, your daughter and, you know, her, your ex-husband are having like this fucking awful crisis. Mm. You can take a call at work, I think. Mm. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's it's like she's, she's still still that opposite kind of useless to Verona's dad in that she just seems unable to reach out. It's like. It's almost like the worst parts of where I feel like Verona's heading is sort of what her mum exemplifies. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I haven't thought and about so, it from that specific lens, but I do like that. Because, and, and like, so to me, the, the bit where it's like, where Verona's like, he didn't say why, and she's like, he didn't really communicate that. The other part of that to me is, did you ask? Mm. Like, you know, when when your ex-husband's sort of like, I really need to get in touch with our daughter, I'm in the hospital, I really need help. And she's like, hmm. I don't know, maybe she doesn't have phone reception. Anyway, talk to you later. Like, <laughs> great. <one>. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I know you're divorced or whatever, but like, Jesus, have some compassion. Like, mm. like I feel like Verona's mom is just kind of, yeah, like empty in her own way. Yeah. Interesting. I love it from, I love the idea that Verona's mom is given, like, giving us a taste of what Verona might, you know, might, might turn into eventually. Horrifyingly yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah it's definitely some of those characteristics i i feel like verona is aiming for are ones that her mum is showing us why they're not actually very good mm, yeah yeah interesting yeah i like that i like that um maybe she's not a practitioner i i'm, <laughs> I'm about i'm still about five percent on the verona's mum as a practitioner trend but we'll see is this payback for me spending all of deep impact theorizing X is a practitioner and Y is a practitioner. You're just getting your your turn at that, you know. I mean, it just seemed fun when you did it, you know. <laughs> it was, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <sighs> um, anyway, of course, it's a Verona chapter, so he has to show up. Here he comes, hot on the phone. It's Verona's dad. Couldn't couldn't have a Verona chapter without him rearing his head. We'll get one one day, and tr- ironically. 
will will think it tragic that he doesn't show up. Somehow Wabo will make it. Yeah, tragic. somehow that'll be worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, they call Verona's dad next, is, is what happens. Uh, yep. Yep, it happens. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, That's no, my response to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, if only we could leave yeah. it So, uh, did you have the same reaction to me, Elliot? I... You know, we kind of have known for it's been like what five chapters or whatever since we've known that Verona is kind of ducking uh, uh, VD's calls, and I thought that it had been like three or four days, and I was fully ready to 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 let Verona's dad be upset at her for for ignoring his calls for a while, and we find out it's been eighteen hours, which is I don't know for an SOS, I guess it is a, a long time, but it's not. It's it's not so long as to be inexplicable, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And I, th- I feel like the theme of all the stuff that's happening with Verona and Verona's dad right now for me is, like, it's this awkward middle ground between not bad enough that it demands that you do something, mm. but also, like, you can't just let it sit. Like, like That's, like, the 18 hours for me is that perfect window of, like, where it's like, ah, oh, I suppose I could have been quicker. But also, it's kind of like, well, you know, 18 hours, like, something could have come up and maybe she had a reason she, yeah. she didn't check her phone for 18 hours. Like, it could sit on either side. Yeah. Um, I mean, luckily, he doesn't really demand that she says why she couldn't call till then, because she'd be shit out of luck as a practitioner. But um, what really drove me nuts about this is, like, it's like Lucy said. Lucy says at the end, he seemed more interested in being mad at you than actually fixing any of this yeah and like, i you really feel that because it's just like it takes her asking him about five times before he finally fucking says what's actually wrong with him it was like it's like talking with a fairy but not fun because at least the fairy dressed it up in all these the like fun theatrics he was just like oh well you know doesn't it suck to wonder like you know oh you know i've been wondering for 18 hours it's like just fucking tell your daughter what's wrong with you like for god's sakes mm-hmm. um it, it it like fantastically frustrating to read uh, is how I would describe this conversation. I was losing my mind at him as I was reading it. Yeah, I'm, and then it turns out. I mean, we don't get a really good picture of how serious this whole thing is, right? Like he talks about how his intestine was twisted, which does sound serious, but it's not. It, he's going to have to miss some work, right? We don't really know how much. We don't know if it's six months or three days, right? I mean, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> and, he de- and I don't think Verona knows, and he definitely doesn't say to Verona, hey, this is how bad it is. He just kind of is freaking out at her. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, it, it's very much right on the, like you're describing, right on the fence of like, ah, maybe I'd be willing to overlook this if you weren't who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, like what, so I actually asked my sister about this, because uh, she is a doctor. Um, and, you know, like, she was saying, this is, like, it can be serious. Like, it's, it's kind of what Verona's dad says. Like, it could either sort itself out mm. or he'll need to get the surgery. And any surgery like that where they sort of have to cut you open and move shit inside you around, like, is just, there's, like, a baseline of very serious for that because when you open a person up, like, there's risks. Um, mm. So, like, yeah, it's like I said, like, there's this thing where this could be very serious and, and kind of demands that you do go. But the worst thing about it is, is Verona could get there and then it could just unobstruct itself and 
then it was kind of all for nothing. Mm. And that's somehow worse than just like, he 100% needs the surgery because then you sort of like, well, I have to go with this. It's just going to be that little part of her. And as unfair as it is, it's going to kind of be like, there's a chance this is all for naught. And she might actually go there. And then if it just fixes herself, she's going to feel bad for going, which she shouldn't, but she will. Um, yeah, it's such a mess. It's such a delightful mess. I can't wait to see where this goes. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we know it's going to be a, a big old mess. So can't yeah. wait. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, anyway, moving on to the next chapter, we jump into Leaving the Mark 4.10, which is from Avery's perspective and picks up immediately after the previous chapter uh, with the trio discussing how they're going to get back to Kenneth without wasting too much time. Get Matt to give you a lift. No. I, I don't understand why this is so hard. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Because they frame it as like, how can we do this without wasting time? And it comes up that Zed offers to give them a lift, right? And they're like, no, 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 that would take five hours each way. We can't do that. Which is like, okay, I get that you don't want to waste time and this is important, yes. But you're talking about endangering <laughs> endangering your lives? For this to make a five-hour trip into an eighteen-minute one, like, is it worth it to do a back to Kenneth speed one? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the Zed thing as well is like another thing. Where it's just like you, you could have got this sort of Zed has that yeah. tinge of like he wants to get a look at the town. He's doing this so that he can get an in. Mm. Um, like that that didn't slip my notice. I, I feel like we're still meant to be a little bit sus of Zed. Yeah. But yeah, overall, I was just, like, they're just talking about the paths and the ruins and stuff. I'm just like, just just drive it. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just clearly the best solution. Like, this is a world where you're still better off. Just do it the old fashioned way. Like, magic comes with a price. You don't get mm. this stuff for free. Mm. Yeah, I. It's yeah. I just don't. I don't. I guess I don't get it. But that's fine. You know. I mean, the other thing, like, because. Because Verona brings up that whole thing of, um, oh, if we could have like a coin of Kennet or something, like some sort of emblem of Kennet and just mm. drain straight from Kennet and not use ourselves, that would be better. Mm. And, you know, the, the, the others bring up, oh, that's probably bad uh, in some ways because, you know, then they might get mad that we can just drain them. And so, yes. This feels Which like one fair. of those times. I like it was absolutely a good point, but like this feels like one of those times where I'm pretty sure if they could call up the Kenneth others and say, "Hey, can we take a bit of extra power from your guys to get there sooner to deal with these aware?" Surely yeah. they would have been like, "Yes," because like the Kenneth others can't deal with it. Like they've desperately need them to sort of be like, "Hey, can we have extra power to get there quicker?" Like I have to imagine the Kenneth others would have been like, "Yeah, fucking take it. Get mm. here and deal with the shit. We're in trouble." Mm. Yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah. Anyway, basically what they start doing is discussing the magical means of transportation that they can that they can get access to, um, what they can do. Um, and it's basically a little set of summaries about the different ways to travel and their kind of advantages and disadvantages, which is the exact kind of stuff that I was hoping we would learn at this school. Yeah, it's very fun. Um, I really like in this world how all magic has some sort of price. Like It never feels free. Mm. to any extent like it's always coming from somewhere like you know you know even someone like bristow who's milking it from all these aware people he probably does actually have to put in a lot of effort to keeping that shit balanced mm. um 
And yeah, it's the Kenneteers are probably the closest we've seen to getting free stuff, but I think their price is just less direct. Like, you know, they have to take care of Kennet and like they, it comes with responsibilities. Um, mm. like power, power isn't free. Mm. And I like that in this world. And it's cool to see comparisons of the different ways you can pay the price to fast travel. <laughs> yeah, all the different torments that you can subject yourself to for the perk of, you know, shaving four hours off of your trip. But luckily, they just choose the one that's going to drain them of themselves. So that's fun. Yeah. Great choice. Um, yeah. But before we get to that, first, Avery starts outlining all of the possible paths that they could take. They're all terrible. They're awful. Why? Why? I can't wait. Lucy's the only one talking sense in this part where she's like, these are all terrible and they're giving me anxiety. And I was like, God, like Lucy is just on the ball. I don't know what the other two were thinking that these were at all viable compared to get get someone to give you a lift <laughs> i mean yeah obviously um not a magical lift either because they basically get jessica to give them a magical lift and that doesn't count you know if they get in their full witch's attire right they've got the capes they've got the hats they've got the mm. masks mm. surely they could convince the spirits to to you know if they grab some brooms oh, oh yeah like show the about, hey spirits, you you see the imagery here, right? We're just gonna fly over to Kennet. Well, and especially because they're returning to Kennet, which seems to be, from what we understand, where the kind of universe wants them to be anyway. Yeah. In fact, it's probably not too much of a coincidence that they've only managed to get away for a few days. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> yeah, wonder. true. As soon as they get away, something inspires to bring them back. <laughs> maybe that's maybe the universe messed up for his dad's intestines. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, yeah, maybe, like, yeah. you know, anyway, but yeah, um, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, <laughs> these three need, these three need to look into broom flying. Yeah. Um, anywho, uh, <laughs> so I think the real reason that this segment is here is because Wabo just wanted to write some more paths, and that's fine, Wabo, if you want, we can do another discussion question, you know, write your own path, start discussion question, because clearly you have all these cool ideas that you want an excuse to, to, to write about. So just let us know. We'll happily put that in. That's fine. I do imagine there's actually a document Wabo has of like, you know, a bunch of pathy ideas mm. and he just goes to it for segments like this and just has fun writing them out because it's very fun to read. <laughs> it is. They're great, right? I, fuck, I love the paths. I'm so glad Wabo... Uh, made them exist because they're they're so fun yeah and i mean we should just start diving into the examples in this chapter uh because they're yeah they're so engaging um like i it's just really fun as well with the paths to try and think about whatever like ideas or trends of thought that they're encapsulating Mm. like you know there's the little line because there's the purple one that's on the back of an animal And there's that moment where Avery and Lucy talk about what the animal is, and one of them thought it was a turtle, and the other one thought it was an elephant, which seems like this great reference to the sort of Hindu or, or disc world, if you prefer, um, like representation of the world on the back of the elephants and the and the tortoises or turtles. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I could just be projecting here, but I got some getting over it vibes from the shining bridge. Um, <laughs> now, now that you mention it, getting over it is the perfect inspiration for a path. So I'm sure Wabo has <laughs> been thinking about it. Um, now you have to go into the endless mountain and you climb into a cauldron <laughs> and you have to pull yourself up it using only a hammer and don't fall down. 
Um, well, no, you have to. You have like there's probably spots where you have to fall down. True. You yes. Up. If you don't fall down at this spot, you'll run into the dangerous other, the flock of bats <laughs> or whatever. Um, <laughs> if you want to understand yeah. what we're talking about, check out Game Club on Drift Media. Yes, we've been playing, getting over it. Um, some of us more su- successfully than others, but you'll get there. Really. It's fine. I'm fine. Um, yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. But yeah, these are great. The the, the these paths are great. I love them. Um, the purple prison is wild. The mug mile is also very bizarre. You're walking on people's <laughs> faces. What even? I, I don't know. They're just awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I love how like Zed has been looking into this, and he basically straight up says because I want to know who I'm dealing with when he's talking to these three, which is again the those that Zed radar. Um, but it. it so Zed sort of says of it, oh, it's hard to harness, like talking about the paths, which might be why relatively few really do the finder stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just love this again, because uh, like this is just these different worlds that all these people are from. Like, it's never occurred to Avery that she was meant to get like a power boost out of being a finder. Like for <laughs> her, it was just sort of like, cool. Um, you know, that's what I want to do. Like she, she just did it because she thought it was neat. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas so many of these other practitioners are like fucking like min maxing their, uh, their lives and their practice, uh, in order to try and get power. Um, well, whereas... yeah, but it's bizarre to me because the boons that you get are all like, oh, you can run into traffic now and you'll probably be fine. Like, is it worth they... it? What, that's, they come with like that all the all the path things they also come with like weird things like you know for avery it was like oh she she's gonna get frustrated sitting in a car when someone else drives now yeah um from zoom town so it's like you know there's perks but there's also these these problems that come with them wait wait so that's the thing like being a finder i think zed's right like it does sound like it's hard to build a power base and become an alexander type mm. if you're a finder um mm. you know i guess the best we've seen is somebody set up a purple prison um but like I, I feel like people who would maybe drawn to the paths people like avery it's like they don't care so much about that like you know because they're getting to explore these fucking cool zany paths um mm. for a certain definition of cool um and if you think like you know if the paths do represent this sort of you know the outskirts of human thought and imagination like like you know the sort of outer realms of of um the spirit world almost sort of thing you know where it's like ideas that aren't as concrete but are very common Mm. then that sort of makes finders the practitioner equivalent of like daydreamers and space cadets like you know they're just off in their own own in everyone's imagination and yeah exactly and they're they're a bit detached (laughs) so it makes it makes sense that they're not like the power hungry people they're the not like the artists but you know what i mean like the the creators the the users of apple products And, you know, maybe they discover something useful or, you know, the equivalent of, like, inventing something. Right. Um, but that probably gets swept up by an Alexander type. Like, when it stops becoming a path and starts to become real, that's when some more business-like uh, practitioner like Alexander comes in and swoops it up. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if we have – I'm trying to think of examples of that because we've got things like the paths obviously take on aspects of their finders as they're kind of – interact with and so presumably that's somewhere that they could evolve and, and change into you know whatever the yeah. next iteration of something um well because i think that's what wait zed sort of talks about it when he talks about harnessing them one of the things he mentions is like oh you can sort of bring them in but then they stop being paths and he doesn't really 
you know, again, like that's something I feel like we could get a two hour seminar on and I'd still have mm. questions. Um, but yeah, like that, I sort of got this sense that like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you can sort of bring them into reality a bit more, but then they, they would change as a result, which, you know, I guess is somebody's idyllic invention getting cor- corporatized and yeah, turned getting into a mass product or something. Lost. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so uh, getting back to the story. Um, <laughs> so Lucy is nervous about the paths, rightfully so, and so they decide to try something else. Uh, they decide to ask Jessica if they can go through the ruins instead, which is less ridiculous than the path theory. Um, so yeah, like I, I was totally on Team Lucy for this one. I was like, what are these two talking about? Mm. Um, but one last thing before we move on to uh, like you know Operation. Uh, best friends with Jess. Um, there's this bit where, so the the doll that they made last chapter that they so they made this robot doll that just pets Snowdrop all the time, which is fucking great. Um, but it's still doing it, and they they basically tell Snowdrop they want to take it away, and Snowdrop starts fighting with them. And then there's a bit where Verona's like, "Hey, opossum girl, come here," and Snowdrop uh, to translate basically says, "Ah, uh, that's not cool. I'm not like a dog." Uh, I'm not just going to come. Yeah, and it, it feels like a bit of a a next step in the stuff we were talking about a lot last week, where Snowdrop and Avery have both sort of started to realize, or both both had people putting pressure on their relationship and and how mm. what form it takes. Mm. Um, and and Snowdrop, this is clearly a bit of a chip on her shoulder, but Avery gives this great speech later about how she's actually really glad about this because she doesn't want to be. She doesn't want to be dominating Snowdrop. She actually wants Snowdrop to be her own person. She's basically being a better parent than either of her owners. Um, and it's just like this speech is so great. And I'm like, Avery, can you please also give this speech to Snowdrop? Like, I feel like you really need to go up to her and make it clear that's where you stand because that's where she wants you to stand. Mm. So I'm, I'm like, I'm so glad that Avery and Snowdrop are both standing up for themselves or, or thinking this way. I just really need them to do it in the same room one time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, it's good that this is starting to become something that, that is on their minds because it is a perfect way to explore human-other relations, right? Because they are literally the closest to humans and others that, that fairly undeniably have each other's back. And so putting a little bit of tension to explore that relationship is, um, yeah, is, uh, is, is a good way to get into it. Yeah, and because it's always coming from other people. Mm. It's never from actually what they're doing to each other. Yeah. Um like Avery, like I love how Avery's actually thrilled that Snowdrop is like, no, uh fuck off, I want this doll. Uh yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, uh let's talk about Jessica a bit, who who becomes a, a major character in, in the part of this part of the story, this part of the chapter. She's obviously a major weirdo, but I kind of find myself liking her more and more just because she's so <laughs> on the level, you know, like there's no bullshit. No, there's Jess. absolutely no bullshit. It's refreshing. It's nice. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Her zero fucks attitude continues to just be very endearing to me. Um, I want to save most of my Jessica talk for after we do the ritual to get into the ruins, because I, I think there's a lot to talk about with her there. Um, but yes, I, I'm a big Jessica fan um, because I find her abruptness very fun. I don't know if I could actually put up with her as much in real life. I feel like it would be very frustrating. Like, I love how everyone's response to the Kennedy is wanting to hang out with her as everyone's like, I mean, okay. <laughs> um, 
she's she's very difficult to be around, but that's fun to read. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. She she can be a bit frustrating, but in a way where I don't know, like you know, the deal that she's offering here is don't give away my secrets and help me out a little bit. Like it's just very much a fair deal. She's just completely on the level, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it kind of reminding me of Lucy, of Lucy a bit in that way where she's just like she's not gonna put on a mask or whatever to like like you know you've got to work past her bullshit a bit like because you're right like she she's very straight up she gives them a fair deal or anything it's just like the reason everyone else seems to struggle to work with her is just because she isn't engaging with any of their bullshit mm. um and, and th- they find that off-putting um whereas to be the reader i love it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um also uh I, I guess before we actually get into the ritual should we talk about so avery has this sort of crushing speech she gives to lucy about how like she she describes it as sort of suffering from a from death by a thousand knots um like if she'd been born in a slightly different time or a slightly different place or a slightly different situation in any way she would have like x or y or z um mm. and you know and th- you sort of get the sense where she's like you know if just one other thing had gone right like i could be happy but now i can't and i just like it's it's hot it's soul crushing but then you get this great bit from lucy where lucy's like um well actually you're with me in verona now and we're doing magic and that kicks ass so um yeah, I don't know. Like, there's, there's like maybe a part to Avery's thinking here that is just like a bit of a like endemic grass is greener uh, philosophy she has on life. But um, especially as we are about to head into her memories, like I thought this speech is sort of really important for preparing us for that. We're just sort of getting an insight into how she thinks about this stuff. Because mm. mm. I, like, I don't not to minimize the bad stuff but like i do think she has a bit of a tendency to to focus on it rather than the good that does happen like not that that makes the bad acceptable or whatever but like for her own mental health sometimes i think she could do a bit more to uh focus on the good that happens without needing uh to give herself check marks of glamour to do so Mm. yeah yeah true yeah i don't know Uh, avery's uh Avery still feels like she's on her journey of uh, of development, you know. I'm not I'm not worried about her to the yeah, same absolutely. extent that I am about Verona. Fair, fair. Um, so, yeah, they head into the ruins and uh, they have to choose important and powerful memories to power their echolocation. Uh, so... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, echolocation is such a... That's what it's called. It's awful, and I love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Verona's worried that because she doesn't have emotions, hers will be powerful enough. Uh, but Avery goes first and picks uh, for her memory the first time that she saw her friend after she ghosted her. Yeah, so so basically this ritual for getting into the ruins is you pick a very powerful memory that can kind of survive on its own as an echo uh, and you send it to where you want to go and then you kind of follow it. Which is just like, Wildbo is so fucking good at coming up with these ways of like milking character stuff out of rituals or whatever else we're doing in the story. Mm-hmm. Like it, it fits so perfectly with what the ruins are, and and as like as soon as I read, that's what we're doing. I was like, oh yeah, f- like fuck yeah, let's dive into some critical memories for our characters so we can understand them better. Like it's it's just perfect. Mm. Um, I I love how he's able to do stuff like this. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, isn't it great? It just 
it's beautiful how it ties in so perfectly because of course that's kind of what you need to guide you through a place where you're consistently being hit by crazy strong emotions um i, I want to talk about avery's memory a bit yeah because this is the night the carmine beast died right like yeah yeah I, i'm pretty sure it is i'm i'm trying to think it, that feels imp- that feels important, and I don't know why, but it feels important that we're seeing because you know we're getting back to Kenneth and we're starting to to tug at those threads a bit more. Obviously, in this chapter, we we have Avery starting to unravel kind of some clues. We'll get to that later, but it does feel important that this is probably the night the common beast died. Like there's something hidden in here, but I just have no idea what it is. Yeah, it, like yeah, you're right. I, like, I think on on an Avery level, I I think what i how that might tie into that is like in many ways this was the worst night of her life like it's it's a Mm -hmm. terrible fucking time that she has Mm -hmm. um and that's why she picked it but there's these silver linings to it like this is just launching into what i was talking about before like you know she there was a lot of bad but at the same time like miss was there it's clearly when miss sort of started to pick her is the vibe i get um lucy and verona were there um she did get that one goal like she she, there there was there was silver linings to this awful night that she could focus on and maybe that's like another part of it like their carmine beast dying is what led to them getting picked as practitioners so you know like something terrible happened yes and that's like you know not to celebrate that but like it you know you shouldn't also ignore that like something kind of good came out of it wait can this have been the night the carmine beast died because Miss and Verona and Lucy are there, right? Yeah. But doesn't that mean, like, did Miss know that she was going to recruit the Kenneteers before the Kamehameha's died? That can't be right. No, because they found the body, well, assuming Miss wasn't in on it. Yeah. Miss didn't know about the death till after the, because didn't Louise walk through as the place was, like, shutting down? Yeah, but then how could this have been... This happens to have been before or during the Common Beast's death if Miss brought, you know, Miss went to to scope out Avery, that, that hockey game. Wasn't that what the six-week delay was? Uh, now I'm, I've confused myself. Yeah, I mean, it could be another night. My, my thing is, like, it, maybe this was after the conversation outside with Louise and, and they were still in the centre. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't quite feel right to me because I thought the match was already finishing. Mm-hmm. Maybe this means Miss was in on it. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Does this mean Miss was in on it? That can't be right. I mean... This must have been after the death of the Carmine Beast. But wasn't that the last day of the season? Yeah, what? I'm so confused. (laughs) Somebody explain this to me in the the comments because I really confused myself. Anyway, let's get back to the memory. Um, Yeah, it's pretty shit how, how Olivia treats Avery here. Basically just bullies her for the sake of winning a hockey game that... Let's be honest, they were never not going to win. It's completely pointless. Um, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, the the friend move would have been to just let Avery do some shit, you know? Like, it's like she's so, she targets her. Let her have a and moment it, or two. Yeah. yeah. There's such a... There's so, there's so much, like, fuck you, Olivia energy and all this. Like, I just... I'm so fascinated to get Olivia's side of things. Like, I hope we get a chance to see... Olivia's perspective on why they stopped being friends. Like, why did she ghost ga- ghost mm. Avery? Because Avery, over the course of this story, has suggested multiple various reasons. But in a kind of Lucy and Paul situation, she doesn't know for sure. 
Um, and I, yeah, I hope we get the answer to that before the end of the story. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. It feels like the kind of human question where we're not gonna, yeah, I don't know. We're not gonna get any strong confirmation uh, of it. You're right, but I refuse. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, could we talk about the Jess stuff um, mm-hmm. while we're here? Because obviously, so we get Jess's back or more of Jess's backstory here. Because um, I think was it last week or the week before we sort of guessed? Oh, she's prob she was probably involved in what happened with her cousin. That's why she wears this guilt, mm-hmm. uh, and she's so dedicated. It turns out the answer is like no, she wasn't really. He was just a complete victim of the system, um, and Jess kind of decided no that's bullshit like he he's come back a different person and i hate this i'm going to fix it Mm. and i mean that like that's that's fucking noble but i I kind of if you look at jess now and 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 so this is what i wanted to talk talk a bit about earlier like she so what we learn here is that to go into the ruins you you release this echo and you you sort of find it again but uh avery talks about how she feels like she has less connection to it uh, mm. as a memory or as uh, emotionally at the mm. end and so you can see like jess has been doing this for years um and, and so like, no wonder she is the way she is and she's so emotionally distant she's literally been giving up her parts of herself and her connection to herself to go and find her cousin yeah and so like, this whole thing's so like it's noble as hell and, and like i respect it but at the same time it's kind of like even if she finds her cousin now in a lot of ways, I think her family has lost her. Like she's mm. giving up as much of herself. Like she, you know, there's there's no net gain here. I, I suppose. Like I, I don't like thinking about it like that. But you know, it's sort of like as long as she doesn't find him, there's there's sort of two victims in this situation. She's she's been hurt as much as he has. Mm. Yeah, she's really. I mean, this is the explanation for why she is how she is, right? Um, yeah. We kind of thought that it was uh, maybe possibly autistic coding in in previous chapters, but it it seems always that she's given up so much of herself to be in the ruins and this deep in the ruins that she's just losing her humanity piece by piece. Yeah, or to be even more specific than her humanity, like just her emotional capacities. Right, yes, yes. and it's just like that's that's kind of tragic in its own way, and it just it sort of I, I guess it's like the point we sort of discussed last week about you know whether you want to fight every fight like Lucy or whether it's smarter to pick your battles a bit. This seems like a bit of an example of where fighting every fight maybe doesn't necessarily work out for the best because like even if Jess finds her cousin, like we're probably not going to get her back. Mm. Um, like she's going to be permanently damaged by this, and and as well like the principles she might have had like she is working at this school now or you know she's she's in this system that she loathes so much she's still having to make these compromises um she's losing so much of herself and, and as like literally and by siding with this system um and it's just kind of i don't know i feel terrible saying it but like is there a point where you've got to look at the tragedy of the past and just sort of accept it and and, and like try to prevent it in the future like is she dwelling too much in the past you know mm. and I, I suppose she is she, she literally dives into the emotional past in the ruins um to see but it's like yeah, like you know maybe at some point it's it's more about looking forward and trying to fix 
or you know make it so this sort of thing isn't happening again mm. rather than just hurting yourself trying to recapture the past yeah yeah, and it feels it feels weird to criticize someone who's doing something so selfless well, and noble. But I don't know yeah. if it's a, I, I don't know if it's a criticism of her. Just like this is a horrifying situation to be in. Like she's she's had to take on this responsibility because there's just nothing else that that can be done. The system has clearly, as we learn, clearly failed her and her cousin. Right? Like yeah, oh yeah, it, it's basically just bullshit of of um how they seem to be treated on these reserves. I know basically nothing about yeah. how this stuff works in in canada um i don't I know a bit about how it works in australia and i, I think there's some similar issues but yes. like yeah it's it's um yeah like it's a failure of of the the sort of you know western system uh to do stuff here and it's the the problem is is it's claiming a second victim now just indirectly mm. Mm. yeah um yeah it's it's a sad situation right um now, moving on from Avery's uh, memory, we also get to see Verona's, which is the Awakening, and Lucy's memory, which just seems to be a kind of random chill hangout with the fam. Um, <laughs> and we, we see these in less detail, presumably because we're, you know, in Avery's head, not Verona and Lucy's. Um, but yeah, interesting, some interesting characterization. Nothing too crazy to dive into, I don't think. Well, I wonder if, I mean, definitely like part of it, is probably that we're in Avery's and that's why we see less of theirs. But I also just wonder if there was less to their offerings. Like something that constantly comes up in Verona's uh, is how dampened she is emotionally. Like Avery sort of says she finally maybe gets what Verona is talking about with mm. how less she feels. Uh, Cause Avery is definitely someone who feels a lot of emotions and Verona is not. And they're kind of actually getting to experience that through each other's eyes. Um, Cause I mean, the important thing is to remember like Lucy and, Verona were experiencing all of these as well. Mm. Um, so there's like a, a connection that will form from that, I imagine. Um, Lucy's is interesting. First of all, because of course Lucy is giving up one of her good memories um, <laughs> because she, she has too many of those. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I don't know. Like, I feel like we're meant to imply from what Jess says before the next memory kicks in that it's like, because she says two of these were good and one was bad. Mm. And I think the implication's meant to be that Lucy's wasn't great, but that's technically not confirmed. Wait, I thought it was... Isn't the implication... I was just assuming that it's Verona's that isn't great. Okay, well, see, there we go about it not being confirmed. <laughs> yeah, um, deconfirm it. <laughs> uh, well, no, wait, that's, no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, It's not confirmed. I feel like I'm... Pretty, I feel safe in assuming Avery's was pretty top notch. Yes, um, certainly worked on me. I, I'd be interested because Lucy's, I could see it not being the good one because first of all, it's like, uh, you know, there's a happiness and a feeling to the memory that feels less like tangible. I don't know. Like there's something yeah. about there's something about bad memories that stick with you a lot more. Like that's just kind of how people are wired, or maybe that's just me. But um, like a good memory like that feels less strong. Mm. Or she was probably more more hold, she was holding on to it more probably like she maybe wasn't offering it as much as she was meant to um and then obviously yeah verona's has that thing of where it's like it feels dampened from avery's perspective mm. so it could be either mm. Mm. yeah i don't know uh, lucy's had a kind of like a warmth and strength that felt that, that jumped out to me whereas verona's was didn't feel i, I, I don't know 
I just, I, maybe I just bought into Verena's, you know, negative press about her lack of emotions. I just thought, like, because it was so funny to me when Verona was like, ah, oh, I don't really feel emotions good enough to s- submit anything for this. And it's like, you were literally getting, like, physical pain from your, like, anxiety and, and stress, like, mm. a chapter ago. Like, use mm. that. Let's, yeah, let's get true. rid of that shit. <laughs> like, like I was all, like, I was ready to gainsay fucking Verona when she was like, mm, I don't really feel emotions enough. And it's like, you've literally been crippled by them. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, we've heard of times when her and her dad have had arguments so strong that it's, like, caused these incredible rifts. I mean, that's, you know, that that's something. Tap into that. Let that go. Fuck. Yeah, I mean, I think she she's actively suppressing that stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I I think, yeah, I could see. I that's I can see arguments both for Lucy and for Verona's being the less than ideal one. Mm. Um. So yeah, I I guess I don't know. We'll see. Mm. Maybe maybe everyone else who read this just had the same thought as you or something. And I'm just an idiot who's confusing it. Um. Mm. Maybe it is obvious, and I just didn't get it. <laughs> Um, moving on, we also, of course, have Snowdrop, who gets in on the action with her own memory, which is great. <laughs> yeah, the real fourth Kenneteer. Um, yeah. You know, Snowdrop is D'Artagnan. That that was her original name. You know how Avery oh, gave her a name? Oh, that's how you spell D'Artagnan. I just <laughs> saw it in the notes, and I was like, what the hell is D'Artagnan? <laughs> Uh, that's, yeah, that's how you spelled D'Artagnan. But yeah, that was Snowdrop's original name, I reckon. The, my mm. new tinfoil theory. Mm. Before Avery renamed her Snowdrop, her name was D'Artagnan. D'Artagnan the Blossom. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is this is great. Like, it's classic Snowdrop being part of the team stuff. It's great. It makes me realise how horrifying Snowdrop's life was and how scary being taken by Verona would have been. Um which is wild. Snowdrop led a pretty wild existence before she, you know, became sentient. Yeah, what's well, that existential horror we kind of talked about in the in her interlude of like that idea of going from just being an animal to being a full sentient creature is whack. Um, and she gets to share that with the others now. Um, this is kind of sweetness though to how when Verona picks her up and puts her on her shoulder, Snowdrop's like, "Oh, it's warm and nice." And she mm. just snuggles up and she's like, I await whatever comes next. And I mean, obviously we know. Um, and again, like it, it contrasted to me a bit with like how Avery was doing with these memories of like Avery tends to focus on what went wrong. Um, whereas Snowdrop is sort of like, yeah, you know, some shit went down, but I got this and I got that. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good perspective she has. Good on her. Also, I just, I love how this happened because it was so like, it took me a second to figure out what was happening. Like it's it's very well delivered in the prose where it's like, you know, uh Jess gets cut off mid sentence and then we start getting this memory and I was like, Oh, is this Jess's memory? Has she ended up paying? And then yeah. like, starts talking about like paws and eating grass and I was like, Oh my god, it's snowdrop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had the exact same reaction. It was great. How fun. Um so yeah, the group kind of wade through these sub ruins, fighting their way through intense emotion after intense emotion. Um yeah, yeah, like quite literally a storm of emotions uh, they have to wade through. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, this is awesome. Like, it, it's just like these these ghosts floating around that like attack you with whatever their emotion is that they're an echo of. Mm. Um, 
then just as the icing on the cake, there's all sorts of gigantic others that are walking around just munching on yeah, echoes munching here on and ghosts. there. Yeah. Um, each one is its own kind of terrifying. Like it's it's just it's a very fun scene uh, to to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's great. Um, yeah. I I kind of wondered as I was reading through this, I was especially for the second time, I was wondering if any of these are references. I didn't find any, but this was like the perfect place to be like, oh, and I walked past the ghost of. Uh, plumber in red overalls on his way to rescue a princess. What well, I don't that's a, that's a <laughs> shitty example, but like you know how Wildbro sneaks in references to his other works, or, or maybe like a packed reference or something. I didn't see any, but this would have been a fun time for it. I don't know. Yeah, I I I kept an eye out after I saw you'd written that. I I feel like most of them were too vague to actually like for me to feel confident in saying any of them were a reference to anything. Like mm. some of them are just like I think that that was alcoholism. Um, which, like, you know, it's not really enough to go on. But um, you're right. Like, it, it, there probably is something in there because I feel like that it would have been a perfect place to sneak one in. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, next time. Next time they dive through the ruins. Uh, the group makes it back to this distorted semblance of Kenneth and kind of climbs their way back up to the surface, which is fun. Uh, yeah. Like, I love this idea of, because like I sort of talked about how I, I didn't think like it'd be levels of the ruins like they've just sort of gone deeper and so now they sort of need to slowly pull themselves back up to the surface but they're not like vertically going anywhere it's just like they're almost just pulling themselves to reality mm. uh, it's it's very fun yeah um, and as this is happening Avery is having like flashes of memory and inspiration. Like, okay, first of all, she, she uses a lot of ice skating analogies throughout this chapter, which is presumably because she's kind of, like, brought this memory to the surface and, and exposed it. But she's also yeah. getting flashes of, like, the common beast mystery. And and the doll also gets, like, possessed by something, I don't know, but something that clearly has info about the mystery. And it, uh, I, I don't have that much from it, but it definitely feels like there's some stuff in here to dive into. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely uh like some clues hidden within this stuff that have gone over my head. Mm. Uh because I did try to figure some of them out. Um the the doll getting possessed is a very fun again, just like the list of things that's cool about this sequence. Uh the doll getting occasionally possessed with some sort of spirit is is pretty cool. Um mm. and then like Avery tries to tune it like a radio to <laughs> to get the best echo signal. Um yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk through the, the things that the little snippets that the doll uh, pulls out, right? Yeah, because so, so it's been possessed by something. Uh, we, I, I basically feel like we're meant to assume it, it's an echo of someone or something that was at the Carmine Beast's murder or was helping move the body or something. Some, like some guilty purpose, person, perpetrator. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, so. The first line we get is eight letters, and it's E-R to W-A-S-S. I have no idea what that means. This one feels like the one that we'll understand when the story's over and we come back and reread it. Um, I'm I'm really having trouble thinking of a word that starts with the letters W-A-S-S. Can you think of I, any? I, I used a software program to yeah. search for words starting with that, and the only one I found was 
uh, wait, hold on, let me hear how it's pronounced. Wassail, um, which is a, a salutation or a toast given in drinking someone's health or as an expression of goodwill at a festivity. So okay. it does not seem relevant. Yeah, uh, maybe it's a mishearing or a name that should be capitalized or a proper noun or something, but I have no idea. Whatever. Or a snake, and it was just was. But oh, yeah. Wait, we're missing more S's. Was. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then there's one that's just tonight, which is obviously describing something's happened tonight. Fine, that's nothing. Um, then we get uh, the end of a word that ends with F and then summer, which presumably indicates en the end of summer. That's what jumped out to me about it, which kind of indicates that we're on the clock here, right? Because they're now doing their summer classes, aren't they? Well, yeah, no, and didn't we get told by the Alabaster at the start of the arc that they were going to do it at the end of summer, uh, pick John? I mean, yep, so really they're on so, the clock here. Yeah, so presumably this is telling us that the culprits figured that that was what was going to happen. Yes, and then we get one that seems to be a fragment of the sentence, deal with the three eventually, right? Um which presumably is referring to the fact that somebody needs to deal with the Kenneteers to cover their tracks. Yep. Um, maybe. I mean, like I, I love this, but I also, I hate, I hate these snippets because it's just like it, it this is just, this is just torturing me and, and teasing us <laughs> with like <laughs> snippets of clues. Um, yeah. This this gets my mind racing and also is, is not enough for me to concretely come up with anything worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this is the best kind of torture. Uh, I, I I kind of almost assume that we will get the full version of this conversation, mm. um, like at the, towards the end of the book or something. Like, or mm. next time they come into the ruins to look for it, they're like, "We get this conversation and be like, ah, of course, yeah, of course. Oh, that's what they were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, they're back, and Matthew has let them know who they'll be dealing with. It is the Gilded Lily, the Glamour Drowned, and the Skeptic. Here we go. Can't wait for it. Yeah, so interesting. The Glamour Drowned is here without his sister, which eh, is... Is Izzy, though? Exactly, like... was my thought, too. <laughs> like, oh, so maybe there's another one sneaking around. Um, of course, the skeptic's here because we had to have interactions with this horrifyingly annoying uh, person who I'm sure is going to be a real nightmare, just personality-wise, not to mention a nightmare to deal with. Uh, yeah, she's going to be awful uh i can't wait like this is i yeah this is going to be so much fun yeah um i still find myself hoping that the others are going to show up but the other ones from the files um so that will be awful but it will be so much fun as well yeah um, um yeah i i do want the groundhog day hero to show up but we'll see uh um so one more thing before we move on because i just i just realized we forgot to talk about it um hmm. So as well as offering like their their echoes, uh, w one of the ways that the, the the echoes work with the ruins is they all had to give like a personal item, yes, um, like basically something with an emotional attachment, yes. Um, and so like Avery has that picture, and it's the picture we've heard about before. I think it was actually her awakening item. Mm. Um, then Lucy uh, has to use. Um, Okay, what does she end up using again? Because um, she can't use her knife, so she pulls yeah. out. Oh, she pulls out the little cipher that uh, right, that yes, Verona made yes. for her, uh, the, and the picture of them, and she has pink hair in it. Uh, and then, like Verona uses her scissors, and I found that very interesting, just because it was like they're meant to be non-magical things, but uh, Verona had 
like hollowed out those scissors. Mm-hmm. So they were like particularly prone to getting filled with whatever bullshit they're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. And they just went for a trip through a, a you know deep part of the ruins. Um, do we need to be worried about what these scissors have in them now? <laughs> they could have anything. Some kind of powerful emotional ghost. Yeah. Picked up a couple of Verona's dad's echoes on the way. No, it's going to be, you know, she picks up the ghost of alcoholism or something and then accidentally infects her dad with it next time she sees him. That's how this will turn even more tragic. That's that's just what he needs, yeah. Yeah. Man, that's fucked up. I shouldn't have said that. Now Wobbo's going to do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so that's where the chapter ends. Avery going off to gather info on uh, the the group that's in town. Um, Speaking of gathering info, the bonus materials is some uh, information that Verona has gathered, some info that Verona has gathered about diagrams and borders. Yeah. So, like, a bunch of stuff that sort of got talked around uh, in these lessons that she's been going to. Yes. And there's some there's some cool little bits that tie this into she was writing this after the end of 4.10. Mm-hmm. As they're waiting for Matthew, which is, like, you know, just some nice, like, how she's working through her anxiety. Again, while both seemingly can't help but include a bit of <laughs> characterization in, in stuff like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this is cool. I mean, we, we dive into some more depth of the diagrams, which is nice. Um, it's, I, I don't know that we have that much to say about it. Like, you know, go check it out. It's it's interesting to read, but, you know, we're not going to just describe the diagram stuff here, <laughs> right? Um, I do like that it expands on how kind of symbology can be used in in making these diagrams because you know everything can be infused with meaning right we can have um we can have symbols built into all kinds of things like the even the borders on these diagrams can have symbols in them uh it it really expands the amount of stuff that we can have which is nice uh but yeah i don't know that we have that much to say about it yeah well i think there's like an interesting shift in focus to the diagrams we're starting to talk about here as we get into the advanced stuff it's like more specific or targeted things like so the most of this focuses on like heraldry um which is you like mostly being used uh to create or that we see to create these sort of workbenches or workshops where you get control over what energy flows and how it flows mm. um but like I, I i thought the the really cool part to me was these um argumentative ones where you sort of draw specific symbols to target specific things so like the ruins is is the example that's used through jess's diagram um i i I love how it's sort of as we're getting more advanced we're just sort of learning there's these different types of symbols that have more specific meanings and you got to kind of you need to use more you need to have more to use them but um they do cooler stuff Mm. uh and it's like the second time now that we've had celestial uh ways of appealing to the spirits mentioned but not given to us which Mm. still just feels like this shoe waiting to drop um like just do the celestial runes what why why does everyone keep saving them for last you know yeah yeah um yeah interesting yeah i don't know i i found a lot of interesting things in these diagram things in these diagram notes um i liked uh i liked the symbolism of um the teeth borders to break things down that was fun um yeah. anywho i guess that's the end of the discussion <laughs> about the, these chapters um yeah. but that's not the end of the show 
because we have uh, pale predictions to talk about, which are uh, predictions that people have left for us in uh, our pale predictor app. Uh, so Elliot, do you have a prediction that you put out from a user that you wanted to discuss? Yes, uh, I pulled out a prediction by a bird uh, who sort of uh, continues on from a, a theory that I think you actually brought last week about Guillermet being uh, the the wise old mentor to Lucy. Because um, the, there was discussion there, I think, about how Guillermet might die. And I actually uh, have only just learned that that's apparently part of the wise old mentor trope is that mm. often they die. Yes. Um, and, and so basically a bird sort of takes it a step further like you know we're getting these these really concrete theories which i like i like people staking specific bold claims um so a bird says gilmay is going to wind up playing the role of the wise old mentor to lucy including dying at marisica's hand as part of the carmine beast plot mm. marisica will get the letter best gilmay and control the new carmine but then, as Gilmay's dying lesson to, oh, but then Gilmay's dying lesson to Lucy will help her topple the whole thing. So you know that sort of moment, like mm. Gilmay will seemingly have lost to Marissa, and he will die, and everything will go to shit, and then something, all the dominoes Gilmay had put in place. Because okay. I, I would expand a bird's thing and say Avery is a bullet as well. Verona will secretly be a bullet. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, just it, it's like it's it's a really great. Um, improvement on my very vague Guillermet might be the good guy theory. Um, mm. I, I especially really like the idea that Guillermet is maybe planning to die just because like it, we, we set up one of the first things we learned was that he's in the summer court and they're the most susceptible to falling down to the winter court mm. and Guillermet seemed really off put by that and it's like well Guillermet had that whole thing like w what he was telling us early or late last arc like he fell in love with this guy they like lived ultra mega love life um and now he's in mourning and i wonder if part of that is he, he seemed to imply he'd reached like maximum ability to feel things yes. in that relationship he tapped so if he realizes yeah yeah well if he if he realizes he's peaked and he doesn't like he may be choosing death over the winter court and that would be like weirdly Mm. um like heroic which you know is his whole summer court deal from the scenes uh, of it so and the idea it makes of, sense to of me. having a plan kick into effect posthumously is very dramatic it's very ex it's very extra yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's perfectly fairy yeah like a lot of this makes sense to me um, yeah okay so like the, the the more i think about it the more i'm like yeah i, yeah. I can i can I see can this see like you choosing to die but then pulling it all away from Marisica posthumously uh, is is perfect. Mm, very interesting. Um, I like it. I like it. I'm on board with it too. Uh, it, I, I put out a, a prediction as well from a user called Drake Marshall, uh, who uh, has brought up the theory that Miss isn't gone from the story in the way we think. She, Her ability to not be seen has kind of, she's using this and has more depth than, than we first thought. She is using it to to kind of go around being not observed and even so far as actively forgotten by people so that she can still kind of take action and have agency while everyone thinks she's gone. Um, the implication of this being that she's around causing trouble and up to something, uh, which I think is fun. Um, and I, the, one of the reasons I like it is because I saw a, a discussion, I can't remember where, maybe on the, the Discord, about um, 
how uh, the trio, when they found out that, that Yolta was the murder weapon, kind of asked everybody, hey, were you behind this? And everyone said no. But of course, Miss isn't around to answer that question anymore. Um, so therefore didn't uh, say no, obviously. Uh, so that kind of ties into this idea that Miss set things up, realised there might have been a bit too much heat on her and, in air quotes, faked her death, I guess. Um, which is just so, again, such a dramatic murder mystery type plot that I, uh, yeah, I just... Yeah, I, I was about to say, the uh, the faked death is definitely a very fun murder mystery trope that I could get behind. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Just fun theories. So uh, thanks to a bird and Drake Marshall. Uh, yeah, those are some great theories this week. And uh, if if you've got a theory, uh, the link to the Pale Predictor is in the show notes down below. So hit us hit us with your crazy tinfoil or your you know very bold but you genuinely believe them claims, and uh, we'll we'll bring out some of our favourites. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, the the link to that is in the show notes. Also linked in the show notes is our discussion threads where you can discuss all the other things about this episode or the show in general. Uh, yes, we're also on Twitter uh, at MediaMD Podcast uh, or the, the account's also called Power Reflections. It's, I don't get Twitter. Um, <laughs> Nobody that ever said... was arguing that you did, Elliot. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that said, hopefully my live reads will be back uh, this week. Things will hopefully have calmed down. So uh if you're interested in coming along and you know chatting as as i read the chapter uh come to our twitter yes and if you like live reads boy do i have a thing for you you can go to doofmedia.com right now and lively read all the posts on that website all <laughs> the other doof media shows are there and have posts there and you can read about all of them at doofmedia.com uh, we also have some really active live reads channel. Uh, Jay's packed live read is is actually nearing the end, which mm. I'm excited for and also going to desperately miss. Mm. Um, I think one of our users is doing a really popular Twig live read, but I haven't read Twig, so I, I'm I don't know where that's at. Sorry, mm. um, but yeah, it, it's it's a great community, and I, I so many people get so much out of the live reads. Uh, one user Pando has been live reading worm and that's that's gotten insanely popular like mm. the the worm spoilers channel has like 100 messages a minute um <laughs> whenever whenever they're live reading yeah um this is all all uh part of the great things you get access to when you back doof media on patreon so head to patreon.com forward slash doof media and you can you too can get access to all these live reads channels <laughs> Uh, yes, and also, uh, if you subscribe at the $5 or above tier, you get access to our Doof and Chill sessions, uh, one of which is happening, you know, 12-ish hours after this episode comes out. Uh, so all the Doof hosts, uh, unless, you know, some scheduling stuff goes down the next 12 hours, uh, mm. will be uh, playing Among Us together, which is something most of us have never played. I think Ruben is one of the few who actually knows what the hell goes on in that game. I have. I have played um, it. And I know how it works. Yeah, so I, 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 I've kept myself uh, un- unknowing, as I think most of us have, so it should be a lot of fun as we stumble our way through. Uh, it's like a social deduction game, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of. Okay, <laughs> cool. It, anyway, it is, so it but be, it's it, also got more going on. It's, it's, not, yeah. it's not a purely social deduct- deduction game, I suppose. Okay, cool. 
anyway it sounds like a lot of fun it's obviously the hot new thing right now so um yeah come come check it out if you if you want to join us as, as all seven of us um yell at each other a bunch i assume that's what happens yeah probably um <laughs> while you're on patreon why don't you also check out wildbo's patreon at patreon.com forward slash wildbo uh he is now i've actually just checked it out and they're, they're doing this he's doing this new thing on his patreon where instead of paying him with money you can also apparently offer him strong emotional memories um so if you have any money or strong emotional memories to offer you can head to patreon.com forward slash wildbo and hand them in there uh yeah i mean <laughs> yeah and that's that. I, I don't. I. I don't have anything. <laughs> no anything to to add to that hilarious, nope. hilarious bit. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I'm beefing it hard right now. Uh, well, that's all right. This is the end of the show, so you can uh, just cut all this out. End of episode. Bye.